1 Timothy chapter number 6, we are discussing the evidence that there is for the inspiration of Scripture. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God, written, penned, written down, recorded by 40 different men in three different languages over a period of 1,600 years, but evidently with one author, and that author being Almighty God, who created us to have a relationship with Him and loves us, and so He's revealed Himself to us in writing through uh, what we call the Holy Bible. It's a book of books, 66 books, but all fits together, and we, we believe it to be. Uh, divinely inspired, inerrant, meaning without error. It is pure. It is perfect. It is powerful. And there are very few people who still believe that. The majority of people believe that the Bible um, came some somewhat from God, but you know you can't really believe that every word is as God. Uh, wants it to be. There are more people who think it's a myth and a fairy tale and a legend than who believe that it is the Word of God and is to be taken literally. 415 times the Bible uses the phrase, thus saith the Lord. 313 times the Bible references the Word of God or the Word of the Lord. And we believe that. I believe that. You've got to make up your mind whether or not you believe that. I trust that you do. And so what we are covering is the evidence that we have to support that belief. God does not ask us. He does ask us to exercise faith. He does not ask us to exercise blind faith. Faith and reason are not mutually exclusive. Faith and evidence are not mutually exclusive. This is not a blind faith. This is a credible faith. There are reasons to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And if the Bible is the Word of God, and if what it says is true, then it would behoove us to find out what it says and build our lives upon it. It, uh, it has the answer to eternal life, life after death. It has the answer to salvation from sin, a relationship with God. It has the answer for the best way to live upon this earth. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. And so while we study the evidence for the inspiration of scripture, there, there, there are two different benefits, primary benefits that we derive from this study. Number one, it bolsters our faith and confidence wherever that might be lacking. It gives us every reason to continue to believe that the Bible is the Word of God and continue to attempt to build our lives upon the truth of Scripture. But then what we also want to be able to do is to articulate these truths in conversation with lost people that we're trying to witness to, many of whom have no point of reference when we try to start in and give them the gospel and tell them about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his, his resurrection, how we can be forgiven. Well, a lot of times we've got to go back to the very beginning and establish that God is the creator and he gave us his word and there are many who will oppose the truth that we believe that the Bible is divinely inspired and we want to be able to give some reasons for why we believe what we believe. We were in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago, had youth camp all week long. On Saturday, we went downtown 
Lancaster, Pennsylvania to do some street preaching and some witnessing and had a great time uh, with a few brothers down there. And right before we left, I had this conversation uh, with a man who came by and wanted to oppose what was happening and call us names. And, and so you know how it goes. People want to make you know snide comments or smart comments, but they do it while they're in motion and while they're almost out of earshot. You understand what I'm talking about? They don't come up to you and say something to your face so that they can engage you in conversation. They try to just like like lob a bomb right after they're out of reach. And so, you know, I challenge, I, I, in a friendly way, I, I hope, in a nice way, I challenge the individual, Let, tell me what you believe. Let's have a conversation. I walk over to him and he's cussing and he's being profane and he's, you know, calling me stupid. And he believed in the big bank. So I asked him for his evidence. He had absolutely none. He had absolutely no reason to believe what he believed other than <coughs> and he basically admitted this, and I pointed out to him in the conversation, excuse me, other than he didn't want God to tell him what to do. I've got some coffee. I need a cough. <coughs> excuse me. Okay, that's better. <coughs> so, so it's good to be able to, and, and, and I went into some of these things about why we believe the Bible is the word of God, and it is, <clears throat> we have reason to believe it. And the next one this morning, we, we talked about the continuity of Scripture, the unity of Scripture, how you could not replicate what we have in the Bible if you were to attempt to do this. These 40 different men, 1,600 years, 13, uh, three different languages, and so many topics, and it all fits together and no contradictions. And then we uh, talked about the endurance of Scripture, uh, heaven earth shall pass away, but God's word shall not pass away. And this Bible has been attacked throughout history, and yet it remains the best-selling book in all the world. We talked about fulfilled prophecy, and we could go on and on and on and talking about fulfilled prophecy and how it verifies the inspiration of Scripture. 351 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. But we'll continue this morning with scientific accuracy, scientific Accuracy, and I've misplaced my copy of the bulletin so I can follow along with your notes. There it is. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 20 is our first reference we'll look at. I'm not sure how many of these references we can get to this morning, but we'll try our best. First Timothy chapter 6, and in verse number 20, the Bible says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Now, God anticipated the arguments that people would make against his word. God anticipated that people would say they don't believe in the Bible, they believe in science. That was this individual that I spoke to a week ago yesterday. He claimed to believe in Science. When I asked him what science he believed in, he had no idea. He, he had no answer for why the Big Bang contradicted the scientific laws of thermodynamics. The scientific law of the conservation of angular momentum. Science and the Big, big Bang are incompatible. 
Now, there are scientists who believe in the Big Bang because they don't want to believe in God. But science is knowledge that is gained through observation and experimentation, and nobody has observed anything like the Big Bang taking place. Nobody has observed the evolution of one species to another species. These are people who call, people who call themselves scientists believe these things, but that is, that is science falsely so called. It comes under the name of science, but that is a misnomer, okay? It, it's not science at all. It's, it's theory, it's belief, it's religion. It takes faith. But people don't believe in the Bible because they believe in science. I believe in science. I believe in the water cycle. Right? I believe in things that you can't observe. I believe in germ theory. That's been demonstrated. Right? <clears throat> I believe that a mask is about as helpful as a chain link fence. That's scientific. Those are starting to come back out. Anyway, scientific accuracy backs up the Bible. The Bible is not a science book, but where it makes a scientific statement, it is always accurate. In fact, <clears throat> the Bible outpaces modern scientific discovery over and over and over again. There are things that began to be discovered in the 1800s that men thought this is modern scientific advancement. And those things that were discovered beginning the 1800s and on were in the Bible all along. And how did these men who wrote thousands of years ago have this advanced scientific knowledge unless, and here's where it is, I mean, unless, unless God inspired what these men wrote. If, if the God who is the creator of heaven and earth, if the God who is the one who set up the laws that govern nature, if he's the one that gave the words, then it would make perfect sense that these, man could have, these men could have some advanced understanding of scientific principles. And there, <clears throat> there are so many uh, illustrations of this. We'll just take a few of them this morning. Let's turn quickly. Go to go Job 26. Job is the oldest book in your Bible. I understand it does not come first sequentially, but the book of Job was written prior to the book of Genesis. Job 26 and verse number 7. Job 26 and verse number 7. The Bible says in Job 26, 7, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Here's what Job knew thousands of years ago, that the earth was not resting on Atlas' shoulder. Job understood what was theorized and demonstrated by Albert Einstein and, 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 and Isaac Newton and modern scientists, Job understood the principles of gravity, that the earth hangs upon nothing, that God stretched out the north over the empty place. That's a, that's a scientific fact 
in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 22, Isaiah 40, in verse number 22. The year 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He was going to arrive in the East Indies by sailing west. There was deep concern that he would fall off the edge of the earth. What they did not know at the time was that on the edges there were huge walls of ice and it would be impossible for Columbus to penetrate those and fall off over the edge. But no, here's what Columbus believed, that the earth was round. It was a sphere. You could go west and eventually circle back to the east. Now, it was a lot farther than he imagined that it was. Uh, he landed in the Caribbean and thought he was in the Indies or claimed them to be. So anyway, you got the East Indies and the West Indies. But in Isaiah 40 and verse number 22, the Bible said in 712 BC, 712 years before Christ, it is he, God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretched out the heavens as a curtain and spread them out as a tent to dwell in. The earth is spherical. That is a fact that was written many, 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 many years before Galileo. Isaiah wrote down that the earth is round. Uh, Luke chapter 17. Look at that one. No, go to Job 25. Job 25. Uh, I've got some extra references in my notes that we didn't put in yours just because we have a limited amount of time. Job 25. And verse number five, Job 25, verse five. The Bible says, Behold, even the moon, and it shineth not, yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. So the moon does not shine. Now, in the sky at night, it looks like it shines. Especially on a clear night with a full moon. The moon is bright. You almost don't need a flashlight on a night like that to go out at nighttime and see, because the moon is shining brightly, except it's not. We understand now that the moon simply reflects the light of the sun. It does not shine at all of itself, which is a, a type, a picture of the Christian. Let your light so shine. Well, Jesus is the light of the world. He's in us. We're to reflect his light like the moon reflects the light of the sun. But here's a scientific fact. In the oldest book of the Bible, the moon does not shine. It reflects sunlight. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles chapter 1. Verse 19, there's even science tucked into the genealogies. How many of you get real excited when you're reading your Bible and you come to 1 Chronicles chapter number 1? Here's my chance to learn how to pronounce all these weird names. 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 19. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of them was Peleg. It's a weird name. I wonder if he tried to pronounce that differently. Because in his days... The earth, I wonder if he had a dog. <laughs> anyway, because in his days, the earth was divided. 
And his brother's name, now come on, wouldn't you be bitter if you, your name was Peleg and your brother had a cool name like Joktan? His brother's name was Joktan. But what happened in the days of Peleg? Let's call him Peleg. Because in his days, the earth was divided. Continental drift theory. Remember, learn about that in science class, Pangea. The earth is all one land mass, and then it, it splits apart, and it moves apart, and we have continents. Listen, the Bible wrote about that in, in the book of First Chronicles. The, these events are 4,000 uh, B.C. or a little bit sooner. And, and God gave the writer of First Chronicles this scientific understanding of continental drift. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We mentioned the water cycle. Here it is in the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse number 6, The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about on the north. It whirleth about continually. The wind returneth again according to his circuits. There's a name for that. It's the jet stream. How many of you ever heard of the jet stream? You're watching the Weather Channel and they talk about the jet stream. Look at verse number 7. Solomon knew about that, Ecclesiastes 1.6. How does Solomon know about that? He didn't take meteorology classes, right? But God told him what to write down, and he wrote it, Ecclesiastes 1.7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. On the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. And there's a good cross-reference. I don't have it right in front of me, uh, where the Bible in multiple places speaks about this water cycle, Okay. The water goes from the river to the sea, it evaporates, right? And then it comes down again, and, and it just keeps whirling about in that fashion. That's in the Bible. Look at Psalm 8 and verse 8. Psalm 8 and verse 8. There's a great little booklet. You can find it also online. 101 Scientific Facts and Foreknowledge. There are, there are literally 100 of these Examples. We just have time to take a few this morning. Psalm 8 and verse number 8. One of my favorite. Psalm 8, 8. The fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. We are now familiar with the fact that there are ocean currents. The Vikings apparently uh, realized that and took advantage of it. But in the 1800s, there was a man by the name of Matthew Murray who read his Bible in Psalm 8 and saw that the Bible said there were paths in the seas. And he determined if the Bible said it must be true, he went to find them. He charted them. He became the father of modern oceanography. There's a, there's a monument in Richmond, Virginia, uh, to Matthew Mari, calling him the pathfinder of the seas. And his inspiration, that monument says, was holy writ. Okay, so, so, so Matthew Mari read something that David wrote hundreds of years before Christ and went and made what is called a modern scientific discovery. Look at Job 38. Job 38, there there. are several here, Job 38, going back again to the oldest book in the Bible. Job 38, 
Job 38 and verse 16. Job 38 verse 16. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Now we know what springs are. We live in Florida. Springs are really fun places to go swimming and see manatees and see some cool, clear water. And spring is just water bubbling up out of the ground. Did you know there are springs in the ocean? Well, Job knew that. It took a long time for modern science to catch up with what Job wrote down in Job 38, 16, that they are ocean springs. Uh, skip down to verse number 19, Job 38, verse 19. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? Now, now li listen, darkness has a place, light has a way. That is stated interestingly in the verse. And what it demonstrates is the fact that light has a path. Light is not in a place. It is in a way. Verse number 24, something else about light that Job understood and wrote down. By what way is the light parted, which scattered the east wind upon the earth? The name of the guy is escaping me who did the experiment and had the prism and showed the refraction of light. Job said you could do that. That light can be parted. Look at verse number 35, same chapter. Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, here we are. Electromagnetism. Here in Job 38 and verse 35. That, that these, that light can carry sound. Something that was recently discovered that was in the Bible all along. Incredible stuff. Look at Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11. Leviticus 17 verse number 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is blood that make an atonement for the soul. The life of the flesh is in <clears throat> the blood. This began to be uh, understood a little bit too late for George Washington. George Washington was sick. Common medical practice in the day was to remove the blood from your body so that you could remove sickness. If he's sick, he must have a problem in his blood, and that may have been... Uh, partly true. And so they would slit your wrist and bleed you out or give you leeches and let them suck your blood. Great, great medical practices back then in the 1700s. George Washington bled to death. And you need blood. It's very important in order to stay alive. And that is written in the Bible 1,500 years before Christ. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Genesis 17, 12, we're not going to turn there. Eighth day circumcision. God said, I want you to circumcise these, these, these boys uh, when they're born, the male children, on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? Well, that just happens to be the day when the blood has the highest vitamin K content and the, the, blessed, the, the very best blood clotting potential. 
And so God understood that, and he, he directed uh, accordingly. Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 13, last one under this heading. Leviticus chapter 15 and verse number 13. And when he, when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in running water and shall be clean. Running water. Running water is a blessing. And running water is very important. Because if you have a bowl of water like mankind did for centuries and you take your dirty, nasty hands and you wash your hands in a bowl of water, well, your filthiness is left behind in the bowl. And if somebody else comes and puts their hands in the bowl of water, well, the filthiness from your hands are going to get on their hands. And so uh, even doctors would carry around water and wash their medical instruments so they thought, and they would pass infection and grain green from patient to patient. Running water was a modern scientific medical breakthrough that was written about in the book of Leviticus a long, long time ago. This is a demonstration of the knowledge of the germ theory that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Okay, come to Luke 19, next heading. Reasons we believe the Bible, because it is scientifically accurate. It's scientifically advanced. It's way ahead of its time. But then, archaeology, archaeology backs up the Bible. Now, men try to use archaeology to argue against the Scripture. <clears throat> but the further we go and the more discoveries are made, uh, the more it supports the history that we read in the Word of God. Leviticus 19 and verse number 40. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that these should hold their peace. The stones would immediately cry out. The stones would cry out. Well, archaeology provides us fascinating and amazing affirmations of Scripture's accuracy and trustworthiness. For hundreds of years, men and women have gone digging around in the dirt in search of history. What they find inevitably matches up with the historical accounts given in the Scriptures. The stones they dig up cry out and say the Bible is the word of God. Of God, There are many people, places, and events that skeptics once used to scoff the Bible because they had no evidence outside Scripture. These people or places existed or the events spoken of transpired. The existence of the biblical cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, once considered mythological, was verified by tablets unearthed at Tel Mardik. An Assyrian king named Sargon was used to scoff at the Bible uh, because archaeologists said we can't find any evidence that he existed until they did. His palace was found. Inscription on its walls confirmed his defeat of Ashdod, referenced in Isaiah 20, verse 1, as well as the fall of Samaria. So the existence of Sargon, the Cyrus Cylinder, the Cyrus Cylinder confirms Babylon's fall to the Medes and Persians as recorded in Daniel 5 and the decrees of Cyrus the Great recorded in Ezra chapter 1, the Cyrus Cylinder, the base of the Tower of Babel, something that's been excavated by archaeologists. Hezekiah's 
conduit spoken of in 2 Chronicles 32. You can go and see that today. The royal palace at Susa mentioned throughout the book of Esther is confirmed by modern archaeology. Jacob's well, where Jesus spoke to that Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. The pool of Bethesda, written of in John 5. The pool of Siloam, where Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter 9. These are all sites that can be seen that have been discovered. These examples and many others serve to validate the historical reliability of Scripture. The reasoning you must consider is if those men whom God chose to record his words were completely accurate in their accounting of certain things that happened, we cannot rule them out just because they mentioned something supernatural or out of the ordinary. Okay, So scientific accuracy, archaeological discovery, and lastly, personal testimony. Come to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 and verse 30. Here's where it gets personal. Psalm 18. Pool of Siloam. S-I-L-O-A-M. Psalm 18 and verse number 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all them that trust in him. The word of the Lord is tried. Here's how you can know the Bible is true. Claim its promises. Follow its precepts. Walk in the light of its truth. Put it to the test. See if God's word will hold true in your life. The word of the Lord is tried. Have you tried it? People say they don't believe it. They've never tried it. People say it's not true. They've never tested it. One of the the greatest ways to build your faith in the word of God is to take God at his word and watch him come through with the promises that he made. You'll never know how true it is until you experience it for yourself and you'll never experience it for yourself unless you believe God enough to put it to the test. A personal testimony. The Bible doesn't need to be proven, but you need to prove it. You need to put it to the test. You need to walk in obedience, lay hold on its promises, pray some prayers, trust God in some difficult situations, and watch him come through and prove his word to be true. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says that the word of God effectually works in those that believe. And not only does this help us personally, but the greatest proof we can give to those around us is the testimony of a changed life. Our life ought to be a visible demonstration of the life-changing power and truth of the word of God. So we've got all of this evidence to lead us to believe that the Bible is God's word. Let's believe it. And that belief will produce results that only confirm that this Bible is a supernatural book. It's the word of God given us so we can know him and serve him please him and love him and what a blessing it is to have it but it's also a great responsibility so 
Let's read it, study it, believe it, and obey it. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, help us. God, to really appreciate what you've given us in the scripture. Help us to be able to articulate why it is that we believe it. Help us to demonstrate that belief in the way that we live. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.